to see you, Rodrigo. Likewise, Peter. Thank you. And, and thank you for, uh, you know, thank you for your time. Um, and I'll just introduce Rodrigo Acuna, uh, who is an independent journalist and researcher who specializes in uh, Latin American politics. He also hosts the uh, Alvarado's Indestructible podcast, as well as uh, publishing a monthly newsletter about developments in Latin and Central American politics. And we'd like to welcome you back, uh, Rodrigo, to Rights, Rorts and Rants. And uh, we've got a quite a full agenda uh, to discuss as events in uh, Latin America are as ever dynamic. Correct. So let's begin with the recent election in Chile with uh, the new constitutional committee comprising of conservative elements who are beginning to rewrite the uh, Pinochet, uh, rewrite the Pinochet uh, um, constitution. Uh, how did this happen, Rodrigo? And what role did the media play in this backflip? And what has the uh, Gabriel Boric's government's reaction been? Um, well, the the unfortunate information for for people on the progressive side of politics is that. The uh, the recent referendum that was held in Chile saw a, a win by the the ultra right um, in terms of the creation of a new uh, parliamentary body, which is going to rewrite, which is going to be in charge of rewriting the constitution and then presenting that uh, in a referendum to the Chilean uh, electorate. Um, now, this is the second time that a body has been uh, elected. The first time the body was was elected, the, the progressive side of politics uh, won a, a majority. But of course, the, the mainstream media in, in, in the country uh, vigorously attacked it, um, made all sorts of wild uh, claims and, and accusations that um, if the new constitution which was being proposed were to be supported by the by the Chilean electorate, then um, basically private property would be abolished, that the the government's program to create or, or um, finance and expand public housing uh, would eventually um, move towards the the um, abolition of of of, of private uh, private property, and, and and many Chileans who who own uh, a home, uh, an apartment, a house, uh, they would lose um, their their properties. Um, I mean, absolutely ridiculous uh, claims. But what I think the the effects of that um, were was that the the electorate became quite disorientated and and disorganized and 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 rejected um that proposal which was would have been one of the most progressive constitutions not only in latin america i, I would argue in the world yeah. and so so the the um election took place so then eventually the the, the process uh, resulted in in a new uh constituency body having to be uh, be elected and and that's where the political right was able to to get a, a stronghold. And of course, they've been receiving the support of of the uh, of the right wing media, um, of the mainstream media, the corporate media. Um, and I think 
criticisms also do need to be made of Gabriel Boric's government in that I don't think he has campaigned, he campaigned vigorously enough in trying to, to clarify and um, e explain to the electorate what, why it is necessary to have progressive forces on this uh, constituency body so a progressive constitution can be can be uh, put forward to the electorate. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, really, that uh, we're in the midst of a debate at the, in, in this country about constitutional change. So in a sense, we're getting a flavour of the kind of uh, uh, hysteria sometimes and misinformation that comes into these debates where the people are, as you say, misled into, into believing all sorts of sort of uh, uh, negative aspects about change, positive change, progressive change. Um, how, how come that the, this body was elected? Was that elected through parliament or was it uh, elected externally? Oh, it was it was elected elected by the uh, by the um, uh, by the population. So, so right. there was a there was an, a, an election uh, for uh, the, the members of this body. So, who would you like to be on this uh, parliamentary body, which is going to draft a new constitution and then uh, put that forward to the to the Chilean electorate? Yes. Uh, I mean, what's been the reaction so far uh, from your understanding on, uh, you know, so grassroots level? Well, I mean, quite, quite, uh, quite devastating, um, as, as you would expect, because the fact that this whole process is taking place is due to the fact that a large student movement, which was then supported by broad sectors of the population, took to the streets yep. in uh, Chile at the end of 2019, yes. in October 2019, because a rise in the uh, the price of the, the, the Santiago Metro Fair, an, an increase uh, sparked uh, considerable anger. And then people decided to join the students and then the students said, look, we actually, we should protest just about everything regarding the privatization of state assets. Yes. And we've been living under a, a military constitution, which was uh, established in 1980. And we've seen, uh, you know, a considerable uh, section of the Chilean economy privatized. And we've, we frankly, we've had enough. And those protests were so... Uh, they were so large and they witnessed such um, fierce repression by the uh, Chilean police and, of course, resistance uh, on the part of, of protesters, which mm -hmm. for the majority were, were peaceful. But, of course, there you know, all, always are uh, different elements. But it, the results of, of, of that violence uh, was that um, the the and and the and the movement was that the the Piñera administration, right wing administration, decided to call out the military because the protest protesters would not go home. They yeah. continued to protest. So a lot of people were, and this was documented by Amnesty International. A lot of um, human rights organizations. The the amount of force that was used against Chilean protesters was was enormous many people yeah. ended up ended up using uh, losing their their eyesight because yeah. Uh, yeah. projectiles were used the rubber bullets were used mm -hmm. um by 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 state forces yeah 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that was incredible, really. And, and I mean, Chile, like so many other countries, including Australia, have suffered really with this privatization, the kind of, uh, of, of the hollowing out of the state, as it were, by, uh, well, organizations that we, uh, that, uh, you know, like Pricewaterhouse and other, other con so-called independent consultancies. So, I mean, yeah, it's 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 an interesting situation at the moment, and hopefully we'll we'll be able to discuss, you know, what happens and how this will evolve uh, over over the next. Have they got a time frame to to report back? Uh, by the end of the year. By the end of the year, so that'll be interesting to see, you know, exactly how they're going to reframe the 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 the, the their. Um, the um, the constitutional changes so we'll, we'll uh, hopefully we'll we'll keep in um you know keep that in mind when we speak again on 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 that situation uh, do you remember in our last interview we discussed the the brazilian uh, presidential elections and uh, the workers party as uh, the, their uh, with their charismatic leader lula uh you know that was just sort of kind of got over the over the um, over the line as it were but i mean in a sense uh, because we don't hear a lot about latin american developments we, i mean all we've heard of is that uh, lula's been in the spotlight internationally um bringing uh, sort of hope and peace and and, and talking of uh, negotiating a, a, a peace in, in the Ukraine, uh, hosting the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, uh, trying to trying to reach a sort of olive leaf uh, around the world. Um, how do you see the, the recent, well, it's only six months, six or seven months since he was uh, re-elected. How do you see his base at the moment in terms of, you know, his status at home, but also uh, what we've just touched on uh, internationally. Well, uh, dom domestically, uh, Lula from from the people he's from his base has has always had a considerable amount of widespread uh, popular support, and he's always been a, a politician that domestically has looked to to broaden his his appeal. And making it very clear to the Brazilian uh, business community that he uh, uh, looks to have good relations with them, but he does want them to to pay higher taxes. He does want them to invest in in, in social uh, programs that are going to uh, alleviate uh, poverty and turn Brazil into the country that it that it should be. Um, and the on on the on the part of the business community, they've always paid lip service to him, and and to some extent have uh, collaborated, have worked with him. Yeah. But of course, once they feel they are in a in a position of strength, they've done everything to to undermine him. Um, that's that's almost that's a pattern that's repeated itself uh, in Latin American countries historically. You'll have some really capable politicians that will will say look you know we, we we don't want to to carry out massive transformations but we do think that certain transformations are necessary are you willing to work with us they will say the, the business community will say yes but then once they feel more powerful they'll they'll begin to to undermine them yeah. now on an on an international uh level 
um, Lula is part of the consensus in Latin America that while being critical of Russia's uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine, has also um, indicated that uh, this is a much more complex issue um, that NATO has played a role in, uh, that Russia historically does have grievances in terms of NATO's expansion. It has been uh, making these criticisms very clear and very loudly for many years. Yeah. And this was going to be seen as a red line that could not be that could not be crossed. So Lula has said, um, look, we, we, we do not support the, uh, the continuing uh, arming of, of Ukraine. We would like to see a, a peaceful uh, solution. And we are not going, I mean, we do essentially see this as a US proxy uh, war. And, uh, and like I said, the, the, the majority of uh, countries in Latin America have, have supported uh, this position. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that they haven't been critical of, of mm -hmm. Moscow. They have. Yeah. Um, but they don't see they, they they look at this as a as a broader geostrategic conflict between the United States mm -hmm. and Russia, which I I also agree. I, I think it is. And, and I mean that brings into to to question the you know the BRICS, the uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and uh, South Africa. That 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 sort of a, a group of uh, international uh, countries that have come together uh, over the years uh, are trying to work out. A, a kind of a different world order, as it were, because, I mean, as you just touched on, the world order is changing, uh, that uh, the Ukraine conflict is a, an example of that, uh, that seismic change. And uh, I guess uh, the, 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 the China presence in this change, um, it's interesting that uh, Lula uh, went to China, uh, or was invited to, to go to China, and um, I mean, entered a an agreement with the with the Chinese in terms of their their because I, I think Brazil's what kind of third or fourth or fifth world trading nation uh, is going to trade in their own currency rather than the American dollar. Correct. That that's that's the the historic um, that's a, that's a historic development which has taken place. China, the governments of China and Brazil have agreed to uh, trade uh, and to pay uh, to to actually pay their trade in in their own currency. So they they will not be using the greenback uh, to to carry out these uh, these transfers. And I think it's there are several factors. Um, number one, there has been for many years, uh, uh, a need, a push from certain countries uh, around the world to to move away from from U.S. Uh, hegemony. Um, the the fact that the United States has been able to impose sanctions on numerous countries and and cripple them economically because they disagree with the the, the current government in office. Um, the fact that the United States was able to invade Afghanistan, Iraq. Uh, NATO was able to carry out a war against Yugoslavia. Um, the, I mean, the list, Libya, the list just goes on and on. But now we are seeing the United States um, uh, freezing uh, Russian assets and, and, and certain elements within Washington 
um, uh, basically saying that they would like to see regime change in Russia. I mean, this is really dangerous given that Russia is a, a, a nuclear power. And again, as I said, they've been uh, screaming really for the last 20, 30 years, we, we do not want to see uh, an expansion of NATO. Uh, we are a country that suffered over 20 million losses during World War II. Yeah. Um, we, we, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see nuclear uh, weapons on our borders. Um, so there are multiple factors but I do think it's looking like there is, I mean, the BRICS countries have declared that by the end of the year, they want to, they are going to get together and they're going to draft a framework where um, they will be able to trade with each other using some sort of new monetary system. Now, they haven't been very clear about that, what that will look like, whether it will be a BRICS currency or a, a BRICS uh, sort of electronic payment system. Um, but like I said, the fact that there are elements within Washington that um, have shown a total disregard for the for, for Russia's uh, uh, point of view uh, regarding their national security, uh, you have to remember there was a, a coup d'etat in, in Ukraine in 2014. Uh, Zelensky himself came to power claiming that he wanted to establish negotiations with, with Moscow, um, and then that wasn't the case. So um, there, is, there is a push. I think that the fact that the United there are elements within Washington that would like to, as I said, see regime change in Russia. I mean, Russia is not Afghanistan. Russia is not Iran. Uh, Russia is a global nuclear superpower, whatever you may think of Vladimir Putin. But just in, in relation to coming closer to the home in terms of Cuba and Venezuela, uh, who are both subject countries that have been subject to American embargoes and, uh, uh, you, you know, kind of pressure. Uh, is Nicaragua, what other countries in, in Latin America are? Oh, Nicaragua's on the sanctions as well. Nicaragua's, yeah. Nicaragua's come under sanctions as well. Yeah. So there are essentially three countries in Latin America that are under harsh US economic sanctions, Cuba, sanctions over 60 years, Venezuela, uh, many years now has had a devastating impact. Uh, they haven't been able to get medical supplies during the COVID crisis. Uh, they've had uh, uh, their um, petroleum um, outlets, uh, CITGO in the United States, uh, that has been, um, you know, the United States basically just, just said we're, we're taking over that because uh, we don't recognize your government. Um, yeah. And then there's uh, Nicaragua with uh, Daniel Ortega, uh, which has taken a, a different uh, position historically. Uh, Venezuelans have been more, the Venezuelan government historically has uh, uh, taken the view of not, in, of the position of not actually incarcerating right-wing politicians that have been accused and there is evidence of them uh, collaborating with the United States. Uh, you know, in, in, in Ortega's Nicaragua, if you're found to be receiving US dollars, you are incarcerated. Yeah. Um, and again, you can you can agree or disagree with that. Um, but, um, you know, there is ample evidence of US interventionism in Nicaragua and, and hence why, um, you know, Ortega has done what he's done and there are US sanctions. Yeah. Just in moving on, just in relation to uh, the Peruvian situation, where we had a, 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 a the president, uh, can you just explain to the listener what what just give a little bit of background to where we are at the currently, in terms of uh, Peru, uh, 
the Peruvian situation and the emerging situation in Ecuador? Well, in, in, in Peru, you had a primary school teacher who was elected to office on a progressive agenda. Um, he governed the country for um, roughly uh, 12, 12 months, a little over or a little under, and uh, tried to reach uh, a compromise with uh, the Fujimorista uh, opposition, a very hardcore right-wing uh, opposition. Um, and he was, I mean, the, the Congress basically made his life impossible. Uh, any uh, policies that he attempted to, to push forward um, were, were knocked back. Um, the number of ministers, I think it's something like over 100 uh, ministers, it, it was an incredible number, uh, were, were constantly uh, knocked back. Uh, they weren't considered to, to be uh, you know, appropriate for them to take office. So his, his government was just in shambles, um, but precisely because the, the, the opposition um, did not want to see a progressive government function in Peru. So he took the position uh, last year to try and suspend Congress and wanted to call for new elections, um, use the, the, the presidential uh, powers that, uh, that are, uh, you know, many Latin American presidents can use under emergency. Um, and then the United States, um, within the same day, in fact, declared that what was taking place in Peru was uh, an auto coup. And uh, the uh, the president was then quickly uh, detained. He's currently uh, incarcerated. And uh, that was the end of that. I mean, massive, massive demonstrations taking yeah. place since. Now, in Ecuador, on the other hand, you have a right-wing president that was accused of links to the drug trade. You have a Congress which attempted to impeach him uh, in a, you know, Congress in Peru is trying to impeach a left-wing president, a center-left president. <laughs> Congress yeah. in Ecuador is trying to impeach a right-wing president. Yeah. But here's the difference, and this is really important to, to note, yeah. is that in Ecuador, when the president suspended uh, Congress uh, and used the uh, executive powers, uh, the United States said it supported the democratic process in Ecuador. So it's, it's not acceptable for a center-left president to suspend Congress and call for new elections in Peru, but a right-wing president can do that in, in Ecuador. I mean, the hypocrisy is incredible. I mean, the US, I suppose, that's the, they can still consider Latin America their backyard. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And, it's, and it's, their ambassadors are constantly issuing statements yeah. and interfering in domestic affairs. Just quickly, what crossed my mind was, is either of those countries, uh, Peru or Ecuador, rich in uh, lithium? Oh, of course, uh, Peru. Yes, yes. So yes. it's it's interesting that uh, obviously as we move into the new era, uh, any country with rich deposits of uh, lithium is going to be uh, prize and copper. Lithium, copper, uh, you're looking at uh, three countries predominantly, uh, Chile, uh, Bolivia and uh, Peru. Is that the, uh, kind of new gold as it were? Exactly, exactly. For electric cars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for that. That's um, lo looking. Um, we, uh, we we discussed uh, the Venezuelan and Cuban situation, uh, and we've I think we've discussed before uh, something like thirty seven countries are subject to to embargoes and uh, sanctions. 
which is an incredible number of nations who were under the thumb. Um, but just going back to Cuba, um, we understand, I understand that uh, the, the Cuban ambassador, we have a new Cuban ambassador now in, in, uh, in, in Australia, uh, a, a woman. And um, I don't know if you've met her or you've had any uh, connection with, uh, with, with her since her arrival, but has there been any briefings in terms of the current situation in Cuba? Um, I, I personally haven't uh, met her uh, yet. Um, but she certainly has met with uh, members of the Australian Cuban Friendship Society or other organizations in the Latin American community. Um, I mean, the, the situation in Cuba is, is, is critical. It really is because the Trump administration managed to, um, despite the fact that uh, Obama uh, saw a, a, a change, a noticeable change in US policy towards, towards Cuba, uh, in terms of the economic blockade, uh, the Trump administration decided to reapply the screws and, in fact, apply them even harder. So Cuba has been in a very critical situation, uh, especially uh, in terms of access yeah. to petroleum and the use of its electrical grid. And we saw a few years ago some mass uh, demonstrations inside the country, which were a combination of people being genuinely upset uh, by the economic uh, uh, conditions of the country uh, due to the impact of the blockade, but also um, elements uh, within um, or within the country collaborating and working with uh, uh, right-wing uh, dissidents uh, from uh, Miami and with links to the usual bunch, the US State Department, et cetera, et cetera, in trying to ferment a... Uh, a revolt, uh, a mass uprising within Cuba. I mean, this is what the US State Department has dreamt and has longed for for many decades. That's that's always been the final objective of US economic sanctions on Cuba. It is to create conditions within the country that become so intolerable for the average citizen that Cubans decide to rise up against their government, overthrow it, and then, uh, you know, the the old status quo can return. Uh, mm. uh, you know, the the days the days the days of Batista, where where the country was essentially a playhouse for uh, the American mob and U.S. capital. Uh, I mean, it might not become the exact replica of what the country looked like under the U.S.-backed dictator Fulgencio Batista, but uh, you know, Cuba will not be better off. Uh, under a US-backed uh, regime in, 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 the, in the country. And whatever, you know, Cubans decide to do with, with their own political system, that should be a decision that, that they make and, on, and on a, on a, independently a, and not due to pressure. Yeah, yeah that's right, on a, on a level playing field as well. So maybe, exactly. we, can, maybe we can ask you to follow up on that and, and uh, in terms of that, the appointment of that new ambassador and maybe... Even uh, you know we could uh, do an interview with her and uh, uh, f follow that through. Well, look, thank you so much, Rodrigo, for your, I think your insightful observations. Uh, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Really, I mean, it's it reflects the world situation. There's opportunities, there's challenges, and uh, and if there was ever a need for for us to come together, uh, it, it is now. You know, with the environmental crisis. 
um, that we've got a you know we've got a lot of work in front of us the progressive forces of the world uh, and it, but it's interesting that what you've mentioned with the the BRICS uh, and the the de-dollarization uh, of these developments happening uh, at the same time so we'll we'll obviously look forward to to speaking with you again and uh, and thanks very much thank you very much peter yeah, thank you